Good morning, church family, and a happy Independence Day to you all. And with that said, before we get to the sermon this morning, I just want to encourage you all that as we celebrate the 4th of July today, to please do so in a responsible manner, something I've noticed that York County really seems to struggle with on this particular holiday. Therefore, please be safe today, church, as you set off your fireworks and celebrate our country's independence. However, and even more importantly than that, let us not forget, church, that today it is the Lord's Day, a day that we as Christians set aside to worship our God. Therefore, despite all the distractions that are taking place around us today, let us still be sure all day long to give our full honor and glory and praise to the God who ultimately saved us. For he above all else, church, is worthy of our ultimate praise today, every day, and forevermore. Amen, church? Now, as for our sermon this morning... Today we'll be jumping right back into Habakkuk chapter 2 and looking this week at verses 6 through 14. Or to put it another way, jumping right back into the midst of God's response to the prophet Habakkuk's second complaint. However, before we do that, I want to make sure that we all have the proper context in mind here and thus recall for you all what has previously taken place up until this point in chapter 2. So two weeks ago, church, in chapter 2, verse 1, we read that the prophet Habakkuk took his stand at the watchpost, stationed himself on the tower, and waited for the Lord God to answer him concerning his second complaint. That complaint being that if you, God, are good and everlasting and sovereign and holy and faithful, then why on earth are you going to ordain evil Babylon to be the rod of discipline against the people of Judah when Babylon is in fact more evil than Judah? Because for you, God, to do that, it would seem to go against your divine nature, your righteous character, and your holy attributes. And thus, as we saw last week in chapter 2, church, God then, he responded to the prophet Habakkuk and initially told Habakkuk in verse 2 to write the vision, a.k.a. to write down the answer that I am about to give you in verse 2, make it plain and write it on tablets so that everyone who sees it will be able to understand it and grasp it and share it with others. Because the things I, God, am about to tell you, Habakkuk, they are not going to instantly come to pass. In fact, verse 3, you're going to have to wait for them because they are going to wait until their appointed time and might even seem slow to come. Nevertheless, you are to wait patiently for them because, verse 3, they they indeed will surely come to pass. Now, what exactly was the revelation or the answer or the encouragement that God gave to the prophet Habakkuk? Well, as we saw in verse 4, it was, the righteous shall live by his faith, meaning that the righteous church, that the true children of God church, their lives will be distinct from the rest of the world by their steadfast faith in the promises of God. 
And you see, this was so reassuring to the prophet Habakkuk and to the remnant of Judah, for that matter, because they knew that their God was faithful and holy and covenant-keeping and good and thus would vindicate those who believe in his promises, preserve those who trust in his word, and ultimately deliver those whom he declares as righteous. Whereas on the flip side of that, if your soul was puffed up like the Babylonians or not upright like the Babylonians or wicked like the Babylonians, then they also knew that God would deal justly with the unrighteous as well. And thus what we must realize here, church, is this, that really there are only two types of people in this world. For there are those that have placed their faith in the promises of God, and there are those who have not. There are those who have placed their faith in the promises of God, and there are those who have not. And thus, because of that, as John MacArthur put it, a man's belief then will ultimately determine his conduct and his destiny. Therefore, today, church, in God's response to the prophet Habakkuk, we see clearly what Babylon's destiny is going to be. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, church, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. God, who is everlasting, sovereign, holy, and faithful, will fill the entire earth with the knowledge of his glory. God, who is everlasting, sovereign, holy, and faithful, will fill the entire earth with the knowledge of his glory. Thus, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Habakkuk chapter 2. So we'll be looking at verses 6 through 14. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning or don't own a Bible, please know that is okay for there is a Bible located in the chairs in front of you with your name on it. Thus, let me encourage you to grab it and to open up to page 786 and join us as a church body as we hear the infallible word of God together this morning. So again, church, we are in Habakkuk chapter 2, looking at verses 6 through 14 this morning, where the prophet Habakkuk writes, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoil for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnants of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth and to the cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray, church. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we could dwell on verse 14 for an entire sermon today, I believe. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It is your glory, Father, that is going forth in this world. For the gospel is still being preached and you are taking people dead in their sin and raising them to new life to give them the knowledge of salvation that can only be offered and given to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. For salvation is the work of God. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as the body of Jesus Christ. As arms, as legs, as toes, as fingers, we all play different roles here. But we are better when we are together worshiping our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the head. Father, we give you all the praise today on what is the 4th of July, and so many people will be distracted by much else. We gather today for your namesake. Father, I pray that you open our eyes this morning, our ears, and soften our hearts to receive this word. Lord, let us instill in us a confidence that you will reign forever and ever not Babylon, not any of the other evil empires of this world, but it is our God who will reign. Father, I pray you send your spirit this morning. Help me. Give me the words to speak. Help my lisping, stammering tongue. Let me give your word to these dear people this morning in a humble, bold, and confident way, not because of anything that I have done, but because this really is your word, God, breathed out for our good and for your glory. Do this work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, God is holy and thus cannot allow any sin to ever go unpunished. God is holy and thus cannot allow any sin to ever go unpunished. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 11. Habakkuk writes, shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble, then you will be spoil for them because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond." So we will begin this morning, church, in verse 6, where the prophet Habakkuk writes, shall not all these take up their taunt against him? So first off, the all these here in verse 6, they are in essence all the nations that wicked Babylon has gathered for himself and all the peoples that they have collected as previously mentioned back in verse 5. Whereas the hymn here in verse 6 is obviously that of Babylon. So in short, church, we are transitioning here or getting prepared here in verse 6 to see exactly what God was going to do to the nation of Babylon. 
And what we initially see here in verse 6 is that all the nations that Babylon has defeated and conquered and pillaged and plundered and destroyed, that one day all those nations, verse 6, are going to take up a taunt together against Babylon. A taunt, verse 6, with scoffing and riddles. Or to put it another way, a song of mockery, if you will, filled with ridicule and scorn. Because our God, church, he is a just God. And thus he pronounces here that the day is coming when Babylon will have to pay for all the evil that they have done on this earth. And yet the impending judgment of God against the nation of Babylon, it is communicated to the prophet Habakkuk here in the form of five woe oracles. Now I suppose some of you might be sitting there this morning thinking, Well, what on earth is a woe oracle? And Bruce Miller, he described them this way, for he wrote that the Hebrew word for woe here, it was often used in the ancient Near East at funerals as a kind of wailing lament for the dead. Therefore, you can think of these woe oracles, church, according to Miller, as if God here is giving the prophet Habakkuk a mock funeral cry to ridicule Babylon with, since Babylon, as the New English translation puts it, is as good as dead. So even in the midst of Babylon, marching throughout the breadth of the earth and seizing dwellings not their own, even in the midst of Babylon, coming with violence and gathering captives up like the sand, even in the midst of Babylon being the superpower of the world and unapologetically worshiping their own might, God gives the prophet Habakkuk here and really the righteous in Judah a message that assures them, that strengthens them, that comforts comforts them and quite honestly gives them the guarantee that even in the midst of this most difficult and horrific season of life, that God, that he is still God, that he is still good, and that he is still on the throne and thus will still, just as he has always done in the past, deal justly with the wicked. Therefore, church, the first oracle of woe that we see here against the nation of Babylon begins in verse 6 with, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges. Which really, church, describes Babylon perfectly, does it not? For Babylon, quite frankly, heaped up nations not their own, captives not their own, dwellings not their own, possessions not their own, debts not their own, and really any kind of wealth and plunder that they could get their greedy hands on. And thus the first woe makes clear here, church, that the day is coming, verse 7, when Babylon's debtors will suddenly arise, and the nations that Babylon has plundered and taken advantage of Will, verse 8, plunder mighty Babylon, a.k.a. the day is coming when Babylon is going to get a taste of its own medicine. And thus it doesn't matter, church, how much power or influence or money that Babylon is able to secure for themselves, for God pronounces here that the day is coming when mighty Babylon themselves will be plundered and that destruction and destitution will be their reality. And yet that is only the first of five taunts against the nation of Babylon. For the second oracle of woe against Babylon church, 
Well, it goes something like this, verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. So although Babylon church would laugh at every fortress that stood in their way, they, on the other hand, wanted to make sure that their house was as safe as possible, that their dynasty was as secure as possible, and that their empire was as impenetrable as possible. Therefore, just as birds build their nest way up high in order to stay clear of predators, so too did the leaders of Babylon, verse 9, take their evil gain, likely the shameful taxes and the tributes that they would make their captives pay and use them to keep themselves and their families and their dynasties as safe and secure and protected as possible. And yet in the process of doing just that, church, Babylon, verse 10, brought shame onto themselves and forfeited their lives. To the point, verse 11, that even the stones and the beams that make up the Babylonian empire would declare that Babylon was guilty and deserving of much shame for the evil ways they treated others. And thus, you can be sure, just as the Proverbs declare, that the Lord will tear down the house of the proud and that the house of the wicked will be destroyed, for that was, church, the fate of Babylon's wicked and evil dynasty. Now, church, in light of those first two aforementioned woes, I think it should go without saying, that is not the way of the righteous. For we know, church, that coveting what people have is not the way of the righteous. That killing and plundering people for what they have is not the way of the righteous, that taking advantage of the least of these is not the way of the righteous. However, brother Christian, sister Christian, simply because you are not coveting your neighbor's car, killing them for it, stealing it off their property, and then plundering their garage, that does not mean that you are automatically then living the way of the righteous. Because we can certainly now, church, maybe now more than ever, exploit and dupe and cheat and victimize others without necessarily killing them, stealing from them, and plundering them of their goods. And thus we should do well to remind ourselves this morning of the simple charge that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave to us in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 where he said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for that is the law and the prophets. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for that is the law and the prophets. Because you see here, church, the righteous, they don't live by discrimination or exploitation or greed or deceit, nor do they live by partiality or hatred or injustice or fraud, nor do they live by manipulation, victimization, blackmail, or pride, but the righteous church, they live by faith. 
for they live steadfastly by the promises of God. And thus, since the word of God says to treat others how you want to be treated, to love others as Christ loved you, and to do good to everyone, that means then, husbands, stop manipulating your wives into doing things that you are too lazy to do. And parents, stop showing partiality to one of your children because the other are driving you nuts. And supervisors, stop forcing your employees to stay late to do the things that you are being paid to do. And Christians in general, stop seeing the least of these as pawns that you can potentially victimize in order to get out of them exactly what you want. For that is the way of the wicked and not the way of the righteous. Therefore, my question to you this morning, church, is this. Are you walking in the way of the righteous or are you walking in the way of the wicked? Because no matter what situation you find yourself in this morning, Christian, no matter how bad you think you need the money, no matter how bad you think you need the job, no matter how bad you think you need the computer or the shoes or the car or the security or whatever else your little heart desires, let us remember that it is never the way of the righteous to take advantage of anyone in order to get it, for that is the way of the wicked. Therefore, your warning this morning, church, is this. Do not sow injustice in this life. For to do that, you will reap, just like the Babylonians, that of calamity. Instead, Christian, walk by faith in the promises of God and be content to do good to everyone. For that and that alone, church, is the only way of the righteous. Which brings us to point number two. Rest assured, Christian, There will come a time and a day when the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. Rest assured, Christian, there will come a time and a day when the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. Verses 12 through 14. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So here in verse 12, church, we see the start of the third oracle of well, which reads, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. So just as Babylon will not be able to secure their home or their dynasty or their empire by the means of evil gain, so too will Babylon not be able to build their towns or their cities or their civilizations by the means of blood or iniquity as well. For it was the practice, church, of big, bad, evil Babylon to not only conquer nations and to rip captives out of their homelands, just as a fisherman would rip a fish out of the sea, but it was also the practice of Babylon then to savagely force those same captives to build for them their empires throughout the ancient Near East. However, Christian, we know that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, Psalm 127. For I read a story this week from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, about a very thirsty bird who saw a giant cup of water painted onto a signboard. 
However, not knowing that it was only a picture, the bird flew toward the painted cup of water as quickly as he could, only to crash against the signboard and hurt itself terribly. Having broken its wings in the process, it fell all the way to the ground and was eventually killed by a bystander. Now the unhealthy attractions of this world are many, and those who are deceived by them not only miss the joys they sought, but also in their eager pursuit of vanity bring ruin to their own souls as well. Therefore, we can all call the bird silly for being deceived by the picture. However, is it any different than those who are fooled by the clearly false idols of this world? For you see, church, despite Babylon's desire to build for themselves the greatest empire that the world had ever seen, using whatever means necessary in order to do it, this was their reality in the end, says the Lord of hosts. For the broad wall of Babylon shall be leveled to the ground, and her gates shall be burned with fire. The peoples labor for nothing, and the nations weary themselves only for fire. Jeremiah 51. Therefore, all that mighty Babylon attempted to build for themselves, all the houses, the dynasties, the empires, the kingdoms, all the cities, the towns, the civilizations, and the lands, in the end, church, it all went up and smoke, because unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, church, will labor in vain. Now, before we move on here to verse 14, I think it would be prudent for us to briefly take a step back from the text and to remind ourselves of exactly what was taking place here around the prophet Habakkuk. So again, church, the nation of Judah, the nation of God's covenantal people, morally, it has gone off the rails. For it was a nation that had turned away from God and, quite frankly, had rejected the ways of God. And thus, because of that, God, he was going to discipline the people of Judah with the nation of Babylon. However, as we, also, however, as we are also seeing today, God was also then going to bring about the judgment of the nation of Babylon for all of their ungodliness, their wickedness, their violent crimes, and their sin. So in essence, if you are the prophet Habakkuk here, you've got to be thinking to yourself, man, there are some dark, dark times ahead on the horizon. And yet, church, with all this perceived darkness just hovering around the text, it's as if God in his mercy gives us verse 14, declaring to the prophet Habakkuk, declaring to the righteous, and really declaring to the children of God of every future generation that, verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I mean, just listen to that again, church. Verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, I have no doubt here, church, that the glory of the Lord filled the earth when evil Babylon was finally struck down in 539 BC. And I have no doubt here, church, that the glory of the Lord filled the earth when Cyrus, the king of Persia, was raised up as the tool of judgment by God, just as the prophet Isaiah prophesied some 150 years before Cyrus was even born. And I have no doubt here, church, that the glory of the Lord filled the earth when God 
God displayed yet again that he is a covenant-keeping God and faithfully keeps each and every one of his promises. And yet, as David Barker points out here, church, verse, verse, verse 14 also seems to raise the oracle from a single reference concerning just the Babylonians' future defeat and places it on the level of eschatology, where in the last days God will move powerfully to bring about his kingdom to all creation. Therefore, despite all that the prophet Habakkuk and the faithful remnant in Judah what they were currently going through, still had to go through and would continue to go through. It's as if God is telling them here to take a step back and to know that in the end, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as vast as the waters cover the sea. And just to put that in perspective for a second church, there is an estimated 326 million trillion gallons of water on this earth. 326 million trillion gallons of water on this earth, and even that, brother Christian, sister Christian, doesn't compare to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Therefore, Christian, no matter how depressed you feel about the moral state of this country, no matter how exploited you feel by those in power, no matter how fearful you fear about the future, let me encourage you this morning, Christian, to take a step back and to know that in the end, Babylon, they do not win. For in the end, church, the earth will not be filled with the glory of the Babylonians, nor in the end, church, will the earth be filled with the glory of the Persians, nor in the end, church, will the earth be filled with the glory of the Greeks or the glory of the Romans or the Nazis or the communists or that of any other radical dictators out there today. For in the end, church, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. For the bad guys, they do not win. Because in the end, Babylon and every other evil empire after them will be judged, destroyed, and thrown into the lake of fire. Therefore, no matter how much wickedness you think that is taking place in the world today, Christian, please, please, please keep this at the forefront of your minds. That your God that he is faithful, that the gospel, that it is still being preached, and that every tongue, every tribe, and every nation will be blessed by God through the promised seed of Abraham, through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thus, in the end, church, our God will triumph over all, his kingdom will come, and the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory. Thus, be at peace this morning, church, and forevermore, because in the end, that is how This story will ultimately end with our God and not that of Babylon reigning over this world forever and ever and ever. Amen, church? And thus, as we close this morning, I'll begin with the non-Christian who is here first. And non-Christian, please make no mistake. I deeply desire for you to come to the knowledge of the glory of God this morning. For I deeply desire for you to hear and to grasp and to know our God's wonderful message of salvation this morning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is non-Christian, that our God, 
our everlasting, sovereign, holy, and covenant-keeping God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save his people from their sin. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he did just that, non-Christian, by coming into this world as truly God and as truly man and living for us the life that we could never live. Meaning Jesus Christ, he perfectly kept every commandment of the law, every statute of the law, every precept of the law, and literally lived a righteous and perfect and sinless life. And thus he, Jesus Christ, kept the law of God completely for the children of God. However, non-Christian, keeping the law of God completely in and of itself wasn't enough to save sinners from their sin because a price still needed to be paid, non-Christian, a sacrifice still needed to be made, which is exactly then what Jesus Christ did. For Jesus Christ willingly gave up himself, non-Christian, as the propitiation for our sins, meaning Jesus Christ gave himself up as the wrath-removing sacrifice for our sins and thus willingly laid down his life on a cross at Calvary and died a sinner's death in our place as our very substitute. However, non-Christian, and here is the crazy part, Jesus Christ, he did not stay dead. Because you see, being that Jesus Christ lived a sinless and perfect and righteous life, sin and death then, they had no power over him and thus couldn't keep the sinless Son of God dead. And thus three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave and displayed to the world that he had defeated sin and crushed death and now offers eternal life to everyone who places their trust in him. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and then can clothe you in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. And today will be the day, non-Christian, that you will be declared righteous, fit to stand in the presence of your holy God now and forever and ever. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ and be freed from the punishment that you deserve for your sin and receive instead the gift of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, we will close this morning in light of verse 14 which again reads, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. And consider this morning how this text should impact and influence our actions today. Because we know, church, that our God, he is serious about his glory. For the heavens, they declare his glory. The children of God, they were made for his glory. And that the whole world will be filled with his glory. And yet as we look around today, too often we can, we can become despondent and or pessimistic because to our limited and finite minds, we see a world that is being filled with sexual immorality and nudity 
hatred and jealousy, anger and hypocrisy, and not necessarily, at least to our finite minds, a world that is being filled up with the knowledge of God's glory. However, let me confidently remind you this morning, Christian, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is still going forth among the nations today. That the gospel of Jesus Christ, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Greeks, it is going forth among the nations today, among people groups who are literally still dead in their sin. And yet, 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 each and every day in this world, Christian, whether you realize it or not, people who were once spiritually dead are being supernaturally raised to new life by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, to God be the glory alone. For that is the work of God right now in this world, church, for he is currently bringing about the knowledge of his glory to the nations via the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here, brother Christian, here, sister Christian, is the absolutely mind-blowing part of this. We, the church, the body of Jesus Christ, we have been called to play a role in this. For as R.C. Sproul put it, yes, the divine glory of God will be fully manifest on the final day. However, even now, the knowledge of the glory of God continues to spread over all the earth. Because as the church serves her calling to share Christ and to make disciples of all nations, we then bring to the nations the knowledge of God's glory in salvation. Therefore, as the body of Jesus Christ, we must remain focused, unflinching, and steadfast to do what we have been created to do. That being to preach the gospel, to make disciples, and to share the knowledge of our God's glory with everyone we know until the day when the, when the glory of our Lord shall be revealed and all the flesh of this world together shall see it, Isaiah 40, verse 5. Therefore, do not let yourself, Christian, get weighted down by the darkness of this world around you, but instead, as a new creation in Jesus Christ, do what you have been created to do, Christian, to glorify your God and to make known his deeds among the people. For your friends, your family, and the world around you, Christian, desperately need to hear this message. Therefore, be bold, Christian, be steadfast, Christian, and feel honored, Christian, to be used by God in the here and now to make his name known amongst the nations. For that is kingdom work, church, and it bears eternal significance. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body take joy in making the knowledge of God's glory known to others. Lord, let us not be content to find our sense of joy in our might, our possessions, our security, or even in our own mini empires. But instead, Lord, let us find our sense of joy in being a citizen in your kingdom, a member of your body, and a stone in your holy temple. For let that be where our joy comes from, Lord, and not from the world. Furthermore, pull our heads, Father, from the clouds of darkness that still cover this world and help us to fix our eyes on you in order to see all the work that you are doing. And let us be encouraged by what we see, Father, and honored to be part of your work as we bring about, as you bring about your kingdom and your eternal glory. For to you, God, be the glory forever and ever. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, how humbling it is to even think for a second that we, we could be used by God as a tool to showcase your glory, to further your glory, to bring about your kingdom. Father, we know that it will come to pass at the exact time that you have ordained it. Thus, let us be faithful to continue to preach Jesus Christ, to disciple those in Jesus Christ, and to further your glory throughout the nations by preaching your word. Father, give us courage. We all have family members. We all have friends that they do not have faith in the promises of God. And there are only two types of people in this world, those who believe and those who don't. Father, let us be steadfast. Let us be consistent in sharing your glory with all of those around us. Father, you are still at work. You are bringing the dead back to life every day spiritually, giving us new life in the gospel. Let us be faithful to be those tools, to not be bogged down by this world, but to be in all how you are bringing about your kingdom and your glory. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen.